You're listening to the Restoring Hope Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Till. Welcome to the Restoring Hope Podcast, your no-fluff dose of inspiration to believe that hope is never lost, faith is not dead, and a better tomorrow is coming. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 today on the Restoring Hope Podcast. We're at it again, three in a row. I got to admit, I almost didn't make it. We almost didn't get here, friends, but, you know, life and things and (laughs) holy cow. But hey, we are here and I'm so glad uh, that we're here together and I'm glad that I am able to continue uh, on this journey with you. Um, Today, we are talking about what does it mean to learn to trust again? And I kind of want to just continue the thought really from last week. And, you know, this idea of understanding like what is normal anymore. And we're, we're beginning to re-enter. We're into the re-entering phase of life. Um, you know, uh, just this past weekend, my daughter had a, um, my oldest daughter had a ballet recital and we got to be there in person and they rented a small stage uh, in the area and we got to be participants in it. And it was still, you know, social distancing and some precautions being taken place. But you know, it was interesting. I was able to invite my mom and we were there and just kind of taking this deep breath. And she just kind of like afterwards just kind of looked at me. She goes, I feel like life is starting to feel like normal again. And and even though it wasn't quite what we're used to, it was, it, it was, it was exactly that. It was just the breath of fresh air, this moment of like, okay, things are returning and they will return. Um, but we know that some things just won't always be the same again. And at some point that theater and every chair will be filled again. Um, and, uh, but some things won't ever change. And there are some things that have occurred over the last, you know, really over the last year or so that, um, have divided us as people. And, um, as we figure out and venture forth, um, to reorder ourselves around this concept, this good news that we are people who are value and of worth, we have to learn to trust one another again. If we're going to embark on this endeavor and this project of restoring hope, um, for all people everywhere. And let's, let's just, call out the elephant in the room right now. And and I'm just going to focus on one area today, and that is politics. And and I told you, I said this at the beginning of this journey that we got to talk about real things. We, we can't leave anything uncovered. This isn't a typical Christian pastor kind of moment where we kind of gloss over certain things and just, let's just go to the existential. Um, but faith impacts everything. Hope uh, has to deal with everything. We got to deal with everything that's on the table, real life. Theology touches every aspect of life. Um, it, that's just foundational to theology. If we, if we believe in God, then God must have some sort of impact or some sort of relationship to everything in this created world. Um, that's usually foundational to much of theology. It's not just a study of God, but the study of all things God. And so we have to talk politics because politics integrates God at some level. Um, there's some sort of interaction there. If anything, you can almost think of it like a Venn diagram and maybe the two worlds are have their own distinctions, but they overlap somewhere. Uh, they can't be exclusive to each other. Um, it just, it, it's, it's uh, intellectually dishonest, and it's also just it's just not true. And so let's just talk politics for a moment. And I'm not going to get into tribalism, but rather, I just want to say this, that politics divided us this year. 
um, politics divided us in, in the last year. And uh, it, it has created incredible rifts within our culture and, and has polarized us further as people. Now, we can all say, well, that's always been there. I mean, you know, you've always had your Republicans, your Democrats, your Libertarians, right? Your, your Green parties, right? Of course, that has always been there. But we've always had some sort of other commonality. And let me just bring this inwards into the church world for a moment. So for those of you who are kind of on the outskirts of church life, and you're kind of like, I don't really care much about this, just indulge me just for a second, if you would, please. Um, what we have called broadly as evangelicalism, which is really much of what is Protestant denominations. Uh, most Protestants would identify some way and somehow as an evangelical movement. And all that really means, um, people have tried to define it, um, really all that means is that they are a broad commitment to a couple of foundational things, usually some sort of, uh, obviously, uh, God, um, the Christian scriptures, um, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, um, and then living your life on some sort of mission, right, for the for God or for His purposes as to what we see within Scripture. And I would just say those are kind of broadly evangelical principles. Some people know evangelicals as well. They're the evangelists, are the ones who are going out and saving people and converting them. And well, yes, of course, and that's part of what a number of people uh, within evangelical denominations do. But it's not the sum of all or the primary emphasis for all evangelicals. So if you're part of a Protestant movement, uh, most likely a evangelical Protestant movement, what you have been seeing happening is been a further polarization even within the broad spectrum that does make up evangelicalism. Just read an interesting article a friend of mine sent to me um, about this and really stating this, this notion of this idea of it's kind of fracturing. Uh, this particular author kind of divides it up in like six different camps. Um, and and I think they're pretty, uh, they seem reasonable, um, maybe, maybe even accurate. Um, but you're seeing what's happening is that typically you would find differences from one evangelical denomination or camp um, or um, belief system, if you will, um, ideology from one to the other. And this is why we have multiple different types of churches. And sometimes they're just, you know, small differences and sometimes they're larger differences and sometimes they play nice and sometimes they don't play nice. But there's always been a, 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 a presumption in a, a, like as if there was some sort of common bond together. And actually for quite some time going into the early 2000s, there had actually been a growing movement of evangelical churches and denominations that kind of once thought each other is like kind of left each other alone were beginning to come together. They were beginning to actually start, we were starting to see some hopes of revival and renewal, um, interdenominational cooperation and alignment around common ideas and themes and beliefs. And this actually was starting to become this almost a renaissance that was starting to occur within this really fractured movement. Um, but again, unified around some core principles of we believe in this, this, we believe in Jesus and we believe in this notion of the gospel that is really the hope of the world. And then along comes, um, 2016, um, the, the election of uh, Donald Trump. And that began, um, that all of a sudden where those kind of winds of potential change were almost gone. And it was politics that suddenly began the fracturing or what actually this article I read uh, was arguing was actually what it did is it exposed 
where maybe true allegiances or overemphasis of allegiances actually were at. And it literally began to expose, like we thought we were aligned on the, the core principles of scripture. <laughs> we thought we were aligned here on this common belief of God and his son Jesus and died and resurrected for our sins and that he is the hope of the world. And, but it turns out we all believe that <laughs> to be true. But our core belief, our ultimate loyalties over the last number of decades had actually been far more political and far more social and far more, and, and among other things. And when you get a polarizing figure, let's just, let's just confess. And actually, I know many people, I have many friends who are uh, Republican, many who are, who are Democratic, and we can all agree that Donald Trump, the president, was a very polarizing figure. Um, I, you know, you hear people on the, uh, on the Republican side would say, yeah, he, he's what we call the ultimate disruptor. And they're proud of that. Um, and you have people on the other side who would say, yeah, he's the ultimate disruptor. And we don't like that. Wherever you fall, when you get the polarized figure in that place, suddenly the lines are drawn and people have to figure out where they land. And if that is your ultimate criterion, if it is defining much of your livelihood, then it often, then it's going to affect everything else in your world. And what we found and what we've been seeing happen now is trust has been eroded away because it now becomes rather than are you Christian or not Christian, it is now more likely to ask, are you a Republican or Democrat? Are you a conservative or are you a liberal? Are you on Team Trump or are you not? And that is where the conversations tend to go. And then, of course, many other things come out of that. But that seems to be where most of it is starting to land. And um, this is a bit unfortunate for those of us who spend our lives thinking about and studying and um, theology and keep trying to call our own life and our own selves to a higher and greater calling and to rise above such conversations, we even find it challenging to do so as well, because we feel like the world often is forcing us into one of these camps. But the reality is, this is where the conversations have been going. And so we have to learn, how are we going to trust again? Because the politics have divided us. They have, they have completely polarized us as a society. And it continues that way, even though the election's over. This is a conversation that's continuing to this day. And churches are struggling with it. You as a family are struggling with it. Um, people within society, within your schools, within your town boards, <laughs> I mean, your local politics, every area of life is suddenly dealing with this. And we got to figure out if we're going to see hope for the world, we have to learn to trust one another because this is the foundation of restoring hope is that we have to be for the other people. We have to be for the other. We have to be about the common good. We have to be about moving forward and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the way to do that is we have to learn to trust. So struggling with this topic, because I knew that this, is, this has been on my heart for, for months. How do we learn to trust each other again? How, how do we build trust again after this season of being apart? How do we learn to trust each other after being cooped up at home? How do we learn to trust each other as we've seen our political allegiances divide, right? 
How do we find a commonality in our society in a world that just feels so divided? Well, I got some inspiration this weekend. Uh, I saw, finally, the new Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. (laughs) Okay, I know it sounds kind of silly, and Matt, don't get your theology from Disney. But seriously, people, if you haven't had a chance to watch this movie, it's available now on Disney+. Plus. You can download it. You can buy it. This is a fantastic film. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the whole film is about this idea of learning to trust one another when you've been divided. What it, it is a timely message for all people, okay? And this is just, it's a fun movie and it's an inspiring movie as well. And it's learning about how do we trust one another again when you feel like the other person can't be trusted. And part of this is then gives me another picture. And okay, I'm going to spoil one thing for you in the movie. And it happens early on, so it's not a total spoiler alert. But it begins with an invitation. An invitation of people who are divided across nation, fractured um, because of fear and distrust of each other. And it opens up with an invitation to a meal. Welcome to my table. Let us eat together. It's one of the most intimate things we can do together as a society, as a human race, is that we eat together. And it's something where commonality and bonds begin to take place. It's an intimate fellowship that occurs there within, with, among people. You bring your culture, you bring your whole self. And then eating is also a bit of an intimate experience as well too, because if you've actually ever ate in silence, hearing somebody else chew can be a very disgusting experience. <laughs> If you think about it, in watching other people eat, I'm always asking my children to make sure, eat with your mouth closed, please, right? (laughs) At the dinner table. But it's where conversation takes place, in which we have to learn to trust each other that at that meal that I'm serving you food that you're not only going to enjoy, but it's going to give you health and it's going to uh, fill your body with good nutrition and it's not going to make you sick and I haven't poisoned it. (laughs) But it's also where relationships are built. There's something just spiritual about the table. Jesus knew this. He knew this so well that only 2,000 years ago in his culture, he invited those who he was closest with to his table. It was his final meal on the earth. In the Christian, um, you know, within the Christian uh, faith, we call this the Lord's Supper. Catholics refer to it as the Eucharist. In evangelical circles, we often just call it communion. And it is the, the Lord's Supper, it is his final meal, where he offers up bread, and he offers up a cup of wine, and he says, take this and eat, drink this cup and drink it, because it is a, a symbol of remembrance. There's something spiritual that occurs here, depending upon your tradition, that occurs at this table amongst these people who we have considered each other as friends, and we are still learning to trust each other. And he says, I'm asking you to trust me, to trust me with your lives, to trust me with your souls, to trust me with your heart, and to say that I will be your final martyr, I will be the final um, sacrifice, so that you no longer, you can lay down your weapons and you no longer have to fight. And we're going to do the most intimate thing together. And we're going to share this meal together. And we're going to break bread. And that's a representation of my body broken. 
And then we're going to drink this cup, and that is a representation of my blood that's going to be spilled tomorrow night. And for those of you who know the story, Jesus, of course, offers his life up. He is, he's imprisoned for a crime he has not committed. He is innocent. He goes before the Roman, uh, the religious leaders and the Romans uh, the next day, and he is then put up for a horrible, awful death uh, on the cross, which is referred to as crucifixion. But he shared his final meal with those friends of his, the disciples, as we've called them. And as he referred to them as, he's asking them at that table, trust me, trust each other, love each other as I have loved you. That's his message in the Gospels. When you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and especially the book of John, this is the message you see over and over and over again. I mean, he's like, I'm asking you to trust me, and I'm asking you to, sh- I'm showing you what this looks like in life. In a, in a miraculous spiritual way, but also in a very practical way. Trust one another, um, heal one another, love one another, give to one another, sacrifice for the other, just as I'm going to sacrifice for you in the next moment. Here's the kicker. A few of them embraced it. A few of them doubted it. A few of them were skeptical of it, and one of them betrayed him, and Jesus knew it. He could see through their souls, he could see right through their eyes, and he said, I know where you all are in this, and I know not not all of you are with me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I will be the first, and not only will I be the first, but I also, it is intended for me to be the last that I will be the last martyr. There will be no need for any others. So follow in me, follow in my ways, and it won't be easy. Now, of course, we know he was not, well, from a God and theological perspective, we believe that Jesus is the final uh, sacrifice for sin of all the world, but we know that many others have been martyred since that time for the same cause. But at the center of that table is humility, forgiveness, and love. At the center of that table and staring across from the man named Judas, who he knew, Jesus knew, was going to betray him and turn him in and go against him, who did not fully trust him, Jesus still said, I'm still going to show you the way. And he was going to give up everything, including his own life. And the message of Jesus is still, follow me. Follow me. Be the first. Be the first to welcome people to your table. Be the first to lay down the other allegiances that you might have politically, socially, uh, ideologically, whatever they may be. And he says, this is the way to a hopeful future. This is how we learn to trust each other again. And it won't be easy. And as a matter of fact, people will still distrust you. They won't believe you. They're going to doubt you. And one of them might even betray you to the point in which you will lose everything. But it shouldn't stop you. Because this is how the world is to function in what God keeps calling and Jesus keeps referring to as his kingdom, his greater kingdom that he's promised that is coming. But he wants to partner with us. And that's what he does through his spirit. He wants to partner with us. And that's what he's trying to do.
And that's what he's calling us to. And so when I think about how divided we are, I think about, man, what's the way forward? And then I'm reminded, thanks to a movie, but then also sitting Sunday worshiping with my family, my wife and my kids at our breakfast table, as we do every Sunday. And we break bread and we drink, well, grape juice. And we do communion every Sunday together as a family. We stare at each other in the face. And even though tempers were a little high that morning, there were some tears already had been shed from hurt feelings. We come together in humility. We come together willing to forgive. We come together because we love God and we love each other. And we say, this is the place where we learn to trust again, over and over and over. When we build trust like that, it begins to foster change in a hopeful future for all. And we know that it doesn't come without risk. And it won't def- it definitely will not come without sacrifice. We don't need another political, religious, or ideological martyr. One was sufficient for us all. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is he that we find our rest and our eternal hope in. Well, thanks for listening to the Restoring Hope podcast this week. This is a listener-supported podcast, and because of you, more people can learn to hope in a better tomorrow, just like you. When you listen, share the podcast, and donate, you're helping keep hope alive for others. Visit anchor.fm forward slash Restoring Hope to learn more about how you can support the Restoring Hope podcast. Until next time, remember to keep the faith and inspire hope in others. A better tomorrow is coming.